notice I'm doing the Barry White voice there, Bear. Breaking Cafe with Valdron and Barry. Here live, episode 266 from Lutz, Florida. Barry, we are feet on the ground at the CWF Legends Fan Fest, my man. We are here. It's happening right now. We're in a room doing some recordings. We got some celebrities here. Pete Letterberg, uh, my oldest friend, literally my oldest friend, but well, I've is he one of, is he one of your two best friends? Is that what you're saying? Pete, Pete is one of my two best friends. Okay, I've got yes. two best friends. And if anything ever happens to Pete, I don't know if I could leave my house. I Thank think. you very much. That's a, a yeah. very, very subtle reference there. So, uh, anyway, live here from Lutz. First of all, we're going to be joined by a few of the brother shippers and a surprise guest appearance by none other than Bill Apter himself, famous for the Apter mags, as they say. He's going to just do a quick pop in and say hello. Uh, and, of course, he's a guest here at the CWF Legends Fan Fest, uh, setting up his uh, visual experience that he will be offering this weekend. So uh, besides all that, on today's show, we're going to be offering a boat buried match of the week. I think you will agree with me that I threw this one at you. Maybe you weren't expecting a whole lot. Sometimes I've seen you some good ones, sometimes some bad ones. But this one, we are offering Rick Rude versus Ricky Steamboat. Holy shit, Barry, this is a great match, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was a tremendous match, too. And I mean, but what did you expect, right? You get these two guys, you know that you're going to have something special taking place. Yes, and we are, we're offering that from a June 20th, 1992. Oh, we're in the 90s, Barry. People will be so happy about that. The Iron Man match from Mobile, Alabama. Lots of fun. Good time with that. We are also going to be offering up because, you know, we are nothing if not what, Barry? Givers. Thank you. Uh, we are going to be offering up our top NBA players of the 90s, Barry. Once again, this is a 90s theme episode. I think we're going to call this one a 90s theme episode. That'll be the title of the episode. So, uh, and oh, we're going to be offering up, oh, that just, uh, you know, appearances, uh, stuff from loot, food talk. So speaking of food talk, Barry, let me ask you a question. I'm going to throw this one at you unprompted. Barry, when we were at Columbia today, there was a situation, an incident, not not involving me in the bathroom uh, or Barry uh, on someone's lawn, but there was a situation where a manager was giving a verbal reprimand to one of the servers at Columbia and Barry Rose, uh, shaking his head in disdain for that. Barry, explain why. I was too, and it was uh, it was hysterical. So we were seated at a large table. There was we, we were seated. We were seated at a large table. Is that we the same as seated? That's a new word. That's, okay, a, that's thank you. the new, it's a new form of Florida ease that I'm speaking. Thank you. So we were sitting, seated, <laughs> <laughs> try again. I had a seat at a table. You are a professional broadcaster, my friend. Oh, if nothing but. And I was at the very end of the table and next to me was a large gentleman wearing a suit with a headset on and he pulled over an employee and basically was giving this employee a dressing down saying, you know, we don't talk like that in this dining room. Uh, I've had numerous complaints and he basically was chiding her and reprimanding her somewhere in this better space of maybe three to four minutes. I was literally a foot away. Uh, the lovely Linda was maybe a foot away, but the irony is there was plenty of space within this building where he could have had this conversation where no one was hearing. Uh, to me, that's a huge faux pas. We don't want to hear your business. We're there to spend our money and have a fine meal. So uh, your primary complaint was that he was basically doing it out on the floor where customers were within earshot. Yeah, it just, it's, uh, it's not professional. And again, it didn't bother my experience. I, I didn't care and I really didn't care at all. But to that end, uh, saving the, the female that he was dressing down some dignity, do that shit in private. 
So, and this applies to you whether you're a server or manager, Barry. Is that correct? Check. That is Thank correct. you very much. That was for you, Spiker. You some bitch. You didn't show up to the fan fest. Can't believe it just because your wife's pregnant. But anyway, Apparently having a baby. Apparently having a baby. You know, sometimes you need to prioritize things, Barry. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. He could have caught the late flight back. Been there at the time of the birth. You know, well, that's anyway, true. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. Uh, before we get to our match of the week, Barry, and other things on the show, I offered up a little, mm, a little tidbit. I threw something at you at the lunch table, Barry Rose. Can you tell me a sequel? That is better than the original TV or movie, Barry, because I have been watching, I told you, and you disagreed with me, which, quite frankly, how dare you? What? I said, controversial opinion, brace yourselves, folks. I'm going to give you a second to just sit down, grab the armchair, ready, deep breath. Barry, I said that I thought Frazier was better than Cheers. You did. Boom! I, I, Boom! Yeah. I got to, uh, I got to disagree with that. Frasier was a very cerebral show. Uh, Kelsey. Well, Grammer, I've always been more cerebral than you, quite frankly. Well, that's, that's for sure. Uh, but Kelsey Grammer, uh, very intelligent, very bright guy. The show was an intelligent show. Wait, Kelsey Grammer went to high school where, Barry? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Pinecrest High School. Did he really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Very, very exclusive, very expensive Pinecrest High School, by the way. Anyway. Yeah. Please. But I got to tell you, uh, from my standpoint, too, I I would stick with Cheers. To answer your question, too, and when it comes to television shows, you've had several shows that uh, were sequels that I don't know if they eclipsed the, you know, if the spinoff eclipsed the original. At the same token, look at All in the Family, the Jeffersons, Maude. You had that horrible spinoff about the show. I think it was Archie's Family. Archie. Archie's Place. Archie's Place. And that was after uh, Edith had died? Yes. And, yeah. of course, they made the cardinal sin of bringing a kid in. And, uh, the, you know, that, that kills more TV programs. Was the kid? Uh, Stephanie something was her name, the actress. Okay. Yeah. This was like on the Brady Bunch when they brought in Robbie Rist as Cousin Oliver. Kill the show. The, the classic the show. Brady Bunch, which, of course, everyone's a fan of. I'm sure, Barry, you have got Absolutely. all Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so that was my opinion. Barry, uh, some of the other people at the table uh, mentioned uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yep. And Agreed. we have talked about, you know, our belief that if it's not better, that Better Call Saul may be the equal of Breaking Bad. And I know Breaking Bad is right up there in the iconic TV shows of all time. But movie-wise, Barry... Do you call Godfather 2 better than Godfather 1? That's a tough call. It's equally as good. A lot of people think that it's better. And I, I probably change my opinion every couple of years uh, when I watch both films. Is it better? I'll let the viewer decide on that. Is it or the listener? Because good? we don't have or the listener. Opinion. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> is it? Is it equally as good? I think it is. Is Godfather 2 better? Some days, in my opinion, absolutely. I think you told me privately that you always thought Godfather 3 was the real key to the whole trilogy. That, uh, yeah. Uh, especially that uh, Sofia Coppola uh, appearance and uh, how, how she saved that film is what Barry told me. So the other one I offered, Barry, uh, Road Warrior, a sequel, of course, to Mad Max. Would you say Road Warrior better than Mad Max? Yeah, absolutely, too. And that's I, – I, you may – that may be the definitive one right there. So anyway, so I, I just feel that was the uh, the best of the the sequels uh, pairing uh, in, in front of the original. And of course, Barry told me earlier that he's always been more of a fan of Laverne and Shirley than Happy Days. But, you know, it's another story for another time. So right now, Barry, how about you say we go for our match of the week? Barry, this week's match of the week. Oh, we're going to have some people that are going to be very happy, Barry. We're into the 90s. 
Uh-oh. We're talking June 20th, 1992. It's Beach Blast from Mobile, Alabama. Ravishing Rick Rude taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in an Iron Man match. Non-title. Barry, why don't you tell the folks what you thought of this match? Oh, horrible match, Justin. Yeah, you got two just, guys that are. sucked, man. This is like an still can't warrior work. Andre match, pretty much, you know. Exactly. You know what? I was hoping for an Andre Ultimate Warrior match. They go about 48 seconds and nothing happens, but, uh. We have look, a lot to no, say about that match. I do, right? There's no way this match could be bad. You've got, uh, you've got Steamboat who, and I saw Steamboat in 76. And I'm guessing he started either early 76 or late 75. And even then he had it. Like I didn't know anything about wrestling, even though, you know, I was a fan, but I didn't, but I, you was could he being see. Was he the steamboat then or was he Dick Blood? He was, he was steamboat and he was uh, working prelims, doing a lot of jobs. And I ran into steamboat, I'll say six, seven, eight years ago. Probably longer. That the COVID thing has completely thrown me off. But I, uh, it was the first time I'd ever had any interaction with him. And I went up to him and I said, "I have to ask you a question." And I asked him this minute, and I'll tell you the story. I it was this minute detail of a match he had in Florida, and he came forth with this explanation that it's either twofold. He's either got the greatest memory in the history of the world. Or he's the best worker of all time because he completely worked me and like the way he was going. He Roberto soded, sodoed you. He did, but much more <laughs> successfully. Yes, he did. So Steamboat was wrestling a match on television, 1976 against King Curtis. And Curtis was, uh, clearly going to go over at this stage. He had been the main event heel for six, seven months at this stage. And Steamboat goes for a leapfrog. His groin catches the top of Curtis's head, and he's on the mat, and the referee calls the match and awards it to Curtis. And it was really unusual. Now, granted, I was 12, so I'm looking at this with the eyes of a 12-year-old. But at the same time, this wasn't a, a CWF finish of a match, and especially because Steamboat had done plenty of jobs so I, they wouldn't have been protecting him in a sense. So to me, it was legit. Again, I was 12. So I saw Steamboat and I, and I'm like, you know, I'm an idiot. So I'm like, I'm going through like, oh yeah, I was 12. I'm telling him the whole story. And I swear to God, he looks at me. He takes me by the arm and he goes, this is exactly what happened. And he starts to go, it was a total work. He goes, we were looking for a different finish that because King was supposed to pin me, I, I was doing all these jobs and King went to the booker and I forget who he said was the booker at the time and it might have been Jody Hamilton and he went to the booker and he said look he goes you got this good looking kid right here why should I beat him cleanly on TV why not have him lose by a fluke and he's walking through the steps of this and and Jody apparently agreed and they do this where Steamboat can't continue because of this groin injury so I was so like the fact that he remembered if it's legit to me is incredible. If not, he worked this into this beautiful kayfabe storyline from, for me only. It was fantastic. So, and uh, granted that has nothing to do with this match other than Steamboat, but 
I digress, as I you, always You've do. never, ever meandered in the history of the <laughs> I know. I've never me. I've never not Bob meandered. Bob Roop has nothing on you as far as going <laughs> off on a tangent. Well, isn't that the truth? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, God, I must be, I sometimes think of Bob as a second father because he is, uh, he is a sweet, kindly, uh, elderly gentleman that sometimes he'll, he'll ask me questions and I'll say, Bob, let me get your opinion on this. And he gives me great advice. And I, I at times have looked at him as a older brother, second father, but I digress again. So eventually we'll get to the match. I promise. This is a great match. And what I like about this match is you've got, if you're going to do an Ironman match, and this is smart booking, you got to get two guys that could actually pull it off, right? And I I know in the Federation, it was like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. That's two guys that could pull off an Ironman match. Same here. You've got two guys that 100% could convincingly pull off this match. And really the rules are it's going to go 30 minutes. That is the set time. The winner of the most falls after that 30 minute time limit is declared the winner. So it's kind of like a Texas death match in and up that, you know, with a Texas death match in the old days, it was when somebody couldn't continue any longer, but some of those matches would go nine, 10 falls, which I loved. This does not go nine or 10 falls, but it does come down to the very end. And I like that. So they go through their spots. I think it's two, two, if I'm correct. Was that, is it right? Uh, 2-2 going into the last couple of minutes. uh, I want to say it was 3-2 and then Steamboat tied it at 3. Okay, but then, I mean, for the obvious, uh, and I I forget, but the obvious, so they're tied going into like the last two minutes. And at that point, Root has got a sleeper on Steamboat. And... Wrestling IQ is something that you and I have talked about. And I think if anything, with all the criticisms of today, you know, everything evolves. But I think if anything is missing, it is that wrestling IQ and understanding. And, and, you know, I, I, this is a match where you got two guys. I would say the wrestling IQ with these two was super heavy. More than a lot, more than most, by far more than most. So Root's got Steamboat in the sleeper and the, the, the announcers, which is Jesse, I think, and Tony Schiavone. Nope. Uh, Jesse and, and, uh, Jim Watt Ross. and Ross, right? Yeah. 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 And he's making, they're making notations of this, which I think is great. Root has got the sleeper on him, but he's, he's got his legs wrapped around Steamboat's waist essentially. So Steamboat is fully supporting Root's body weight. This is at the 28 minute mark. Again, that's, think of the conditioning on that. I, I couldn't do that in the first minute of a match, right? Let alone the 28th minute. So that's amazing. What they do then is Steamboat I think three to four times runs towards the turnbuckle and bounces Rude's head off the turnbuckle, but Rude doesn't relinquish the sleeper hold. What a great fucking spot. Cause you yeah, used to I, I gotta be honest once. with you. I, sure. I, I thought you were going to mention another spot that they did where Steamboat is trying to grab for the rope and Rude with his, with his feet. I loved his, it. Kick his, kicks his hand away. And he does it like two or three times. And what was great was, geez, how many times, how many years combined have you and I watched wrestling 
And I thought to myself, I've never fucking seen anyone do that. And it's awesome. He did it. So here's the other thing. The way he did it, he wasn't really kicking his hand off the ropes because it's rude. The guy was a fucking genetic miracle on every level. I'm going to assume body fat was about 3%, right? Like it just literally what he was doing was he wasn't kicking it necessarily off the rope. He was almost hooking it with his leg. He was. Bring his, I never saw anything like that. He to, was bringing to keep his him from being able yeah. to grab the rope. It right. was amazing. Yeah, it was. It was a hook. It was like a hook with the leg. Yeah. And then he goes into the head spot and bounces the head off the uh, off the uh, the ring ropes, the the turnbuckle, which I thought was great. But the ending was great because Steamboat essentially, with about a minute and a half left, maybe a minute left gets the last fall. And what he does is he kicks off the ropes. Root has still got the sleeper on. He falls back on Root, grabs a leg, one, two, three. Root gets up. He's in great shape, but he's irritated. Steamboat's groggy. And Root goes full out with about a minute left. I'm going to guess, and I don't know, 20 finishes 20 false finishes maybe he keeps doing lariat clothesline after clothesline and covering him but it's happening at the rate of like one lariat every four seconds or five seconds like you've just it's it i've never seen anything ever like it and again this is 29 minutes into this match these guys are still going at a pace that i couldn't go on my best day even for the first 30 seconds it's you have to see it to believe it. Turns out Steamboat wins because even though there's these 20 false finishes, Rude can't cover him for a one, two, three. I got to say, this is as close, if not a five star match. This is as close as you're going to get. This is a fantastic. It is a fucking clinic of professional wrestling and how to do it right. And I will tell you, I know we had on Sean Davis a few months back after we uh we were talking about psychology and and he had mentioned that he he'll have certain matches that he requires his students to watch his homework. If I was running a school, this would be the first match on the list. Yeah, and this is uh this is the kind of stuff that fans today would see like in a Brian Danielson match. Yeah. Uh, as far as the physical psychology uh, and the mental chess is like the kind of stuff you see MJF doing. Rick Rude is just he is so underrated uh, by historians, my, myself included, because I watch this and, you know, uh, uh, it's when he first started breaking nationally, he just had a really weird build. Because at that point, he really wasn't uh, on the gas as much. So he kind of looked like, uh, we used to say, like a stick with muscles, you know. He he had the abs even then. And the guys, let's be honest, he's in, in fucking tremendous shape. But then as he began to get thicker and thicker, that's where you really began to see him emerge as a world championship contender. So one of the questions I wrote down, I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead and ask it now, Barry. Sure. Do you think Rick Rude, this Rick Rude, and the 70s would have been a candidate to be NWA world champ. 100%. I, uh, and with his physique, and I, I, he, he'd always had the most unusual physique, but I mean, 
could you imagine with the abs? The abs were, I think, the beginning and end of his career, right? Like the guy literally, and I remember what you're talking about. It was on TBS when he first came around and they had brought him in, I want to say, as an arm wrestling champion or something similar. And he was a, he was, he was this guy with, not an ounce of body fat on him abs that he didn't have an eight an eight a six pack it was like a fucking 12 pack like you just never saw anything like it but then he had these huge arms but he didn't have much of a chest and his waist was probably the size of my waist like he just literally well you know maybe i'm dreaming but he uh i would say this rick rude that we saw was good enough to be an nwa world's champion any point, 70s, 80s, 90s. This, this, this Rick Rude is, was fantastic. I have a question for you, Jeff, that I wrote well, down. Well, uh, let me, before you All get right. to the question, let me just say, and the other component that would have appealed to promoters in the 70s is, you know, when we ask guys about, uh, uh, tell us the guy that you'd want standing next to you in a bar fight. Rick Rude, uh, is a guy that does not get mentioned a lot, but he was a guy that I've always heard that nobody fucked with because, you know, first of all, he was, you know, he was, a, had been a bouncer when they, uh, when he first went into wrestling, uh, for, I think Eddie Sharkey trained him, but he was also, as you mentioned, uh, you know, a, uh, what do you call, uh, arm wrestling champion, tremendous, like tendon strengths, uh, you know, in his hands and his, you know, his wrist and stuff like that. And much like, I'm not going to compare him that far, but much the way people talked about Danny Hodge, when Rick Rude got a hold of you, it was fucking over, you know, and he could absolutely destroy you. So what were you going to ask me now? So in, in looking at this Rick Rude, and the beauty of it is, too, we never saw this Rick Rude in the Federation. Like, he was never given uh, the opportunity to go all out the way that he goes all out here. He's such a great heel, though, and he is doing – what essentially was his, uh, gimmick in the Federation where he'd come out and everybody's, you know, you're a bunch of, uh, you know, St. Pete sweat hogs or whatever he used to say. Could Rick Rude have transitioned and been a main event baby face? And if so, how would that have been done? Like what type of, you would have had to alter the gimmick a little bit, obviously. How would you have altered the gimmick to get him over as a main event, main event baby face? The talent's there, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, it would have been something where he would have had to have been able to use those kind of promos as a way to antagonize the heel. And that would have been the way to go. That, I mean, that's the only way I could consider him going. Yeah, it's uh, as I'm watching, he's he's such a natural heel that I. Oh I, yeah, that's part of it. He was so obnoxious. And- he's so obnoxious, and he's just he he just he's a guy. We talk about that wrestling IQ. He just has to look at the audience and sneer a little bit, and the place would go fucking nuts. I just don't know how you could position and transition him into a main event babyface. Unless you were going to put him out there as a kind of kick-ass baby face, yeah. he couldn't have been a wrestling baby face. He would have. I, I think it would have had to be a short-term baby. Face yeah, in a short too, term, because he was agree. so naturally uh, obnoxious. So let me. Uh, are you done? Can I? Yeah, can yeah I'm I, done. Okay. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is oh, the introductions, Barry. WCW's first family. 
Oh my God, Ricky Steamboat. Oh, and oh, Bonnie yeah. and the, uh, you know, okay, he brings little Ricky out to the ring with him, but oh, you could just see the influence of Bonnie all over this. And I actually felt bad for Ricky, uh, you know, because this was just killing him with the fans as great a wrestler and babyface as he was. And he was this gimmick. And we've talked about this before, just a killer and that they not only did this in 89 and watched it you know, really just kill his character that they, they redid it, you know? And the thing that's interesting is this was apparently the first show after Bill Watts was named the booker uh, in WCW. I can't believe that Bill Watts let him do this. You know, I can't believe that Bill Watts didn't say, yeah, no, uh, we're not, we're not doing uh what with Bonnie and uh, the little, uh, the little dragon and all this kind of stuff. Cause it was just like, Oh, uh, it was horrible. That being said, when he brought his son into the ring and Rude sort of takes a step towards Ricky and his son in a sort of very subtle threat, like he didn't do anything to the kid, but it's just like he kind of took a step towards him. I thought that was very effective there. Well, it was too. And the, uh, and then what they, what you saw in the match, the second little Richie steamboat is out of the ring. Uh, the dragon just goes right for rude and I guess works on his ribs and, uh, yes. just lays in there. And the announcers, they, they do make reference to it. I think Jesse, Jesse was making reference to it. Yeah. And they mentioned that Paul E and Medusa are, uh, banned uh, from ringside. Yep. Uh, of course, we would love to talk to, uh, Medusa about that. Uh, it'll be in the book. I'm sure it's uh, in the book. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, quick question. Who did you like better as a manager for Rick Rude, Bobby Heenan or Paul E? Bobby Heenan, though, with a caveat, I feel that Paulie was probably, I mean, he was, Paulie was allowed to do more, but I do think he was, he, he and Heenan had some sort of chemistry together. I don't think he had the same kind of chemistry with Paulie, but he and Heenan definitely had chemistry. How about you? Who did you like better? Uh, I think I prefer Heenan. Um, and like you said, you know, there were guys that Heenan managed that, uh, he did not care for. I know Tully Blanchard was one of them. I think he really, you could see in the chemistry and the way that Bobby just worked with him that Bobby really liked work. He liked Rude and he liked working with Rude. Yeah. So, uh, I noted the uh, first pinfall by Rude takes place uh, seven and a half minutes in, uh, about a minute later. Uh, he gets another pinfall. So now he's up, uh, he gets it with the rude awakening. So he's up two nothing, eight and a half minutes in. You did mention that, uh, Steamboat had work, uh, started working on the ribs. So they were doing the whole thing where rude was selling the ribs. So then about a minute later, Steamboat is down. Rude goes for the kill by coming off the top rope onto, onto Steamboat. And I noted somebody, uh, had made a notation that this, came off as being very stupid for a heel to do within the context of the match, of course, to literally cost himself a fall uh, as a way of, you know, like uh, uh, further injuring the baby face using that sort of logic. What do you think? I don't know. To me, when it's professional, I mean, again, no, 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 I, I get it. Yeah. I'm, come on. Really? Like that's the, you know, I don't, it, that didn't phase me in the least. Okay. So then uh, I, mean, I get it. I get what they're saying, but come on, you know, so, so then, then, uh, Rude goes up three to one, uh, 19 and a half minutes in, uh, after he pins him. Uh, I loved, uh, and I gotta say, Jesse Ventura in this match 
absolutely on fire. He is. Uh, he was so good in this match, and he reminded me just how good he and Jim Ross were as a team, and they were really good because he makes the comment, you know, again, rude dealing with the uh, the rib injury, and he says, yeah, what a gutsy move by Rick Rude to attempt to do the bump and grind to give every female the thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> because he would try to flex, and then he'd sell the rib injury, and it was hilarious, Barry. Yeah, that is great, too. And you know what? He's right. He's damn right. Yeah. That was magnanimous of Rick Rude, but that yeah. is a good line. So, yeah. uh, so I will mention that on the, uh, the video that, that we both watched uh, at around uh, 14 and a half minutes in, there is a technical glitch. So then, Barry, at about 17 and a half minutes in, I noted, you know, we, we talked earlier about uh, the spot where Rude was uh, kicking away as Steamboat reached for the uh, the ropes with his feet uh, as he had the uh, the sleeper hold on him. There was another really unique spot that I enjoyed, and that's when Rude goes to pick Steamboat up for a pile driver, and Steamboat literally begins climbing up his stomach and chest to get out of the hold and reverse the hold. Had yeah. you ever seen that before? Nope, never. And, and again, so here in one match, Steamboat is showing two old farts like us that have, you know, seen a lot of wrestling in our day, stuff we've never seen before. And it's absolutely amazing, and I'm absolutely here for it, you know. Great, great stuff, very unique. Uh, Steamboat then gets a backslide at 20 and a half minutes for a pin. He reverses the, uh, the sleeper hold off the top rope. He pins Root at 2930, as Barry mentioned. And wow, there's just so, and you know, Barry referenced like the last 30 uh, to 60 seconds of the match and how many near falls Root has on Steamboat. Very, very exciting finish. Uh, I did want to mention that, uh, we did see, uh, our old friend Jimmy Suzuki shooting ringside. Yeah. With venerable WCW photographer Dennis Brent, who I worked for for a very short period of time. I think he did one article for the uh, the magazine back in the day. So I also noted that according to the Sportster.com, Barry, this was ranked as Rick Rude's third best match of his career. Oh, wow. Yeah. The uh, I know number one, I believe, was a match that we've also talked about. And that was the War Games from Phoenix. I think he was in that, and that was listed as the best match of his career. I can't remember what number two was. So, uh, anyway, this was a great match. And I, you know, as I started watching it, I texted Barry and I said, holy shit, this is a great friggin' match. Have you, you know, and Barry, I was watching it on a Sunday afternoon. And Barry says, I can't believe you're not watching football. And I said, unfortunately, we got a really crappy game. And that's why I have time to watch this, this match. We will post a link to it in our group breaking cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. I really hope you get a chance to watch that. Two guys absolutely just doing fantastic work, some really unique spots, and very, very highly recommended, Barry. Barry, we are fucking live in Lutz, my man, and we've uh, just had lunch at the Columbia Restaurant. Are you full as a tick, Barry? I am so fucking full at the moment. And I'll tell you what, Columbia, one of my favorite restaurants across the country, because I always feel the food's good, the service is good, it's a fun atmosphere, but... I and we're recording this right now, and it's only well, it's three forty-one. I don't see myself eating dinner tonight, Jeff. So, so we're not going to uh, Donatello's. Uh, uh, <laughs> Inside joke. For, uh, no, we're not. Another story for another time. So, one of the things we decided to do here is we wanted to bring a couple of members of the Brothership. By the way, it's the Brothership, not the Brotherhood. Just going to let somebody here in the room know that. Uh, 
But uh, we wanted to have some of the guys join us so we can give a voice to some of the names that you see on our Facebook group. Uh, Barry, what's that Facebook group called again? That Facebook group is called Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Hold on, Jeff. Hold on. Oh, yeah, breaking news. We're, We're breaking Kayfabe. Yeah. Silly Willie. Bill, at, Bill, Bill, join Jeff for a minute. Yeah, yeah. He's coming apart. Join him up. Yeah. So, so with Breaking Kayfabe, you never know what kind of celebrities are going to walk it. They into just, the they're coming in. So, big time. This is big time Bill Apter. This is, this is, uh, second time appearing on Breaking Kayfabe with, uh, Bill Apter. Well, thank you. It's yeah, great Bill, to see you always in Always a pleasure to, to uh, Bill, your hair is looking great today, man. Well, my comb over is Well, you know, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna great criticize shape. anyone for their hair at this point, so, but, uh, so, uh, Bill is here. He's just fresh back from, uh, lunch also? Yes, just, uh, had a wonderful lunch over at, uh, Glory Days. Yes, and what so, would you have? Because Glory Days is very popular with the group uh, here. I had a kid's meal. Oh, okay. Grilled cheese. Chicken strips or no? No, no, grilled cheese. Okay, I didn't know grilled if you had cheese. anything else. No, then. no, because I'm not in the mood for like a big meal meal. Mm-hmm. So three things are my go-tos for lunch. Grilled cheese, chicken salad, or tuna salad. Okay. Bill, Bill here's the all-important question. Oh, you're over there, Barry. I'm over here. Oh. Hi. Do you? We they keep us separate because we tend to fight if you put us too close together. So especially when we're naked, that's really yeah. a bad oh, time. Stop yes. it, you bitch. Yes. I'm sorry. Anyway, so Bill, Bill, do you eat a lot of salads? When you go out for a meal, no, do you eat a salad? You don't eat salad. You've never had a salad. I have, but I you, yeah. You See, I like a man that can, says can he I never had this? a salad. You can know, I that's that's this? my kind of guy. No, no, I've had salads, but my food group is let's see, let's it's a pizza. Uh, Hershey's dark chocolate, not all the fancy brands of dark chocolate, uh, white pizza mainly, Italian food, red Italian food, of course, uh, except for chicken franchise. I do okay. like that. Uh, and Chinese food. Do you like the chicken franchise more than the chicken marsala? Much more. Okay. It's got so that I, lemony. I, want, I wanted to clarify that, you know, so. Uh, there was something very bad going on outside, uh, in, in town here before I got here. These two guys were arguing whether there were any Chinese Jews. Oh. Chinese Jewish people, right? Wait a minute, we're getting political. Wait, no, no, I'm not okay, at all. Okay, just checking. So they went. In, I followed them. We went into a Chinese restaurant yeah. and asked the waiter, "Are there any Chinese Jews?" And he said, "I've got to ask the boss." So he comes back. He said, "The boss said there's no Chinese Jews, only orange juice, tomato juice, and pineapple juice." Thank oh. you very much. I see what you did there, Bill. Yeah, after yeah, I yeah. see what you uh, did. That was a very nice, very Thank nice. You. So, Bill, of course, you're here at the uh, I'm thrilled to at be the here. CWF Legends yes, Fan Fest. Yeah. You know. Uh, David Penzer is always paying top dollar for your appearance. Yes, he did. How much? <laughs> you know, he has money to burn. That David Penzer. That's one thing that we. I think uh, he burned mine already. He might have. Yes, yeah. So yeah. you're not getting the money. You're getting a check. You know, and yeah. get to the bank real quick. That's all I'm going to say. I asked him, does he take credit card? He said yes, and but he doesn't give them back. Okay, that's so, that's yes. uh, that's a problem. But uh, so uh, so Barry, uh, Bill's appearance here at the uh, Fan Fest. What will Bill be offering uh, in the way? I, I understand there's going to be a slideshow, something about. Oh no, no slideshow. No slideshows. No, 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 no pictures of the no, family, no, nothing no, like no, that? No. Oh, yes, with my vacation to Oh, yes. Yeah. No, no, I will be putting on my uh, uh, one-man show, which is an interactive show. And it's different from every other wrestling one-man show where people are, like, uh, talking politics of wrestling and who hates who. It, there's none of that. This is an entertainment event. There we'll be, be the judge of that, will, quite frankly. They, yes, but I'm telling anyway, you. Yeah. I'm telling you. So already he doesn't like it. But there will be videos. There will be audience participation. You've never seen a one-man show like this in the world 
a professional wrestler. The, the only thing I hope, quite frankly, is it's not uh, when you say videos. Yes. Yeah, I hope it's none of Barry's videos because I've seen those. They're a little sketchy, you know. Well, very sexy though. Sketchy. Yes. They weren't sketched. They were actually filmed. Well, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're looking forward to your appearance tomorrow. Well, thank you. I know you have to go over with the Professor Pete Letterberg. Get your things set up. But uh, thank you so much for joining us here. And Barry King Cafe with Badger and Barry. Thank you. And we'll see you here at CWF Legends Fan Fest. It's very, he's a professional broadcaster. That, you could tell. This, it's the, this guy it's knows the, what he's doing. It's the proverbial smattering of applause. So one of the things we were saying, Barry, is that we've been joined by uh, – by the brothership here at the in Lutz for the Fan Fest. And joining us for a quick hi, hello, how you doing? There's our old friend Mark Beaudry. Mark, let me ask you, how many Fan Fest have you been to so far? Uh, this is my fifth one. And have you been continuously disappointed in every Fan Fest like you told me privately? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, it's actually how my... Uh, you? Well, you know, some people got to, you know, spill the beans without uh, talking to uh, the brother Barry there. So, but, uh, and Mark, of course, uh, flew in today. Uh, boys are his arms tired. Uh, bing, bing. Uh, where'd you fly from? Uh, Boston? Uh, from or Boston. From yep. Boston. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, and, uh, how long have you been a member of the old brothership, uh, group there, uh, Mark? Uh, probably from day one. Day one. Just, just day about. one, Barry. He's a day one subscriber. We know some people that uh, follow the podcast, but they don't necessarily subscribe to the Patreon. No, I do. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to spill the beans about uh, who was in the uh, the minivan with us. That it's not subs- Well, I did not want to mention any names. Harold Strassler is, uh, you know, not a subscriber. Let's try to, uh, you know, uh, put undue pressure on Harold to kick in the five fucking dollars for the Patreon. That's less but, than fifteen cents a day. Thank you. That is less than fifteen <laughs> cents a day. Mark, I think, is about to be made an administrator in our group, Barry, for that. Uh, so, uh, but Mark, uh, what are you looking forward to most about uh, this weekend besides the, the fellowship of the group? Uh, any particular guest you're looking forward to more than another? I'm looking forward to uh, the two-hour uh, dinner with uh, Magnum TA. Magnum TA! So uh, that that is your go-to. Quite frankly, who are you looking to uh, the least? Uh, besides Barry and I, which uh, that's pretty obvious. But are you are you looking forward to meeting David Penzer again? Yeah, only if he doesn't take my wallet. Okay, so you know, once again, it all comes back to the money with David Penzer. Mark, thank you so much for joining us, my man. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you, guys. Always good to see Mark here at the CWF Legends Fan Fest. Barry, joining us now is uh, brother shipper Fletcher Bailey. Coming to us live and in living color from Orlando, Florida, in that I-4 nightmare corridor. But why did we ask Fletcher here, other than his stunning good looks, Barry? What is it about Fletcher that makes him want to come to the Fan Fest? Well, that, you know, there's at least three or four women here at the Fan Fest, you know. So, But no, Fletcher is one of the newest members of our group. And so, you know, Fletcher came up, introduced himself today. He's uh, chit-chatting with us, talking a little wrestling, went to lunch with us in Columbia. Fletcher, first of all, welcome to your very first CWF Legends Fan Fest. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Yes, and uh, Fletcher, uh, Orlando, first, though, from Birmingham, Beham, as they call it, uh, and now you've come out. How did you first hear about Barry and Cafe with Badger and Barry? Uh, it would have been through the 605 podcast. Barry, remember when they used to do a 605 podcast? What my grandfather. Yes, I think the last episode that was available was approximately 67 years ago. But, uh, yes, no, uh, Fletcher did hear about us through uh, the, I think it was called, was it the Mothership? Is that what it was, Bear? So, but you heard about us. Uh, you're now engaging with the group. Have you had an enjoyable experience in the three or four hours that you've been here? 
Uh, better than I could have expected. Well, you know, it's just another reason. They, yes, yes. And, I, and you I know saw what? Three women. And, well, you know, and, and what he told us, <laughs> what he told us, Barry, was thus far, it's all part of the David Penzer experience that he offers. Barry, really, quite frankly, doesn't do much here. No, you know, he's showing up at the restaurants. He's having, and Fletcher, the other thing we told him was he came here. You're going to put on friggin' weight. He's been to Columbia. They went to an ice cream shop. You've probably put on a good two, three, four pounds already, don't you think? I feel it. Yeah, yeah he feels yeah, it. Yeah. He says he feels a little bloated, Barry. <laughs> he may have to go up to the hotel room. He may have to have a flarity before, you know, he Uh-oh. goes. Uh-oh. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. But that's uh, a little later. Fletcher, we want to thank you for uh, showing up. We're proud to have you as a member of the Brothership. And thank you for coming and joining us here on Brig. Give me a better than Barry. Yeah, thank you all very much. Thank you. So very now joining us, one of the original Brothershippers, I believe, our old friend Bruce Cohen, resident food critic and foodie of the group. Bruce, thank you for joining us here on Breaking Cape Able Batter and Barry. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Barry. So, well, I think you don't have to thank Barry, quite frankly. I, I want thanks. thanks. You know, I thanks. want some thanks. Well, you know, he's, he's very needy, let's be honest. So, Bruce, as the resident foodie of the group, I can tell the people that we went to, as I mentioned, the Columbia Restaurant. First of all, what did you have? What did your lovely lady have? Uh, and we want some reviews as to thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. We had a, I had a very delicious steak sandwich. Uh huh. Cuban steak sandwich. Yes. Seasoned perfectly. Perfectly. It wasn't, it wasn't too done because Barry doesn't like it when it's uh, like medium well. No. Know? So, okay. It was so, done perfectly. So you like that? Uh, your lady, what did she and, have? And Cindy had, um, queso fundido. Yes. Which was very was it, cheesy. Was it fundido? It was fundido and dito. Thank you. Okay. That was very <laughs> clever. Very broadcaster like. And, and, uh, and black bean soup, which she also enjoyed. Oh, that, that might hurt you later though. That's all I'm going to say. I'm sorry to say. But, well, there, there is, a, there is a couch that I could move to. Well, it might be necessary. <laughs> so, but you did in fact give the meal a thumbs up, am I guessing? Oh, two, two actually between the two of us, four big thumbs up. What? Thank you. You're using both hands. That's a uh, very nice of you. So, uh, is is there any other meal that you are looking forward to? Are you looking forward to the meal that will be provided by the residents in uh, Marriott? What is it? <laughs> Parkway, uh, Oviedo, turn right, uh, something like that. Uh, uh, what are we, Barry? What are we offering this week? Oh my uh, God, we've got coming up this beautiful selection of food. Hey Heather, Heather, what are we having for dinner tomorrow night? Oh wait, gotcha. Are we having the pork again? Oh my God, the pork is fantastic. It's a, uh, Cuban citrus pork with rice. I think there'll be, Jeff, there'll be a salad and. Uh, well, salads are very important. By the way, did yeah. you have the 1905 salad? I did not have the 1905. See, there's someone else in the group that passed on the salad. I get criticized. Barry tried to feed me some salad. I don't know if you saw the picture in the group, but, uh, you know, I, I decided to last second to decline. But Bruce, we want to say, first of all, thank you so much for all your food reviews, your pictures in the group makes our group so much better. Thank you so much for joining us here in Lutz, Florida. Bruce Cohen, everybody. My pleasure. Barry, I know you are a huge fan of the NBA, and I know you love talking about the NBA, especially when we talk about NBA history. So I offer you, courtesy of the Sportster.com, the top 10 best NBA players from the 1990s, Barry. Oh, I love it. So there'll be no talk of Bron Bron and his currently winless at the time of this recording, L.A. Lakers. How sweet is that, by the way, Barry? It's so funny, too. Uh, it's uh, so sweet. LeBron can't get a victory. and uh, 
Oh, poor LeBron. And it's, I'll tell you what, this is, and I, I, we were discussing this, uh, and I don't know who I was discussing, but it's, there are things like chemistry. And it, even though LeBron has stacked up a team that can play, there's some real talent on that team. They just can't seem to get a win. They've missed the playoffs. And, and this is, I think this is the damaging aspect to LeBron's uh, legacy because every you know it's always the same. who's the best player in the NBA of all time is it Michael or LeBron based off of what is taking place right now I don't think that 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 question ever needs to be asked again because uh you know you can bring up Michael with the Washington Wizards or the Bullets whatever they were called when he was there but this was an older heavier slower Michael Jordan still could shoot uh, I think he was player coach if I'm correct and it, it didn't translate LeBron is even though he's on the downside the guy is still a fucking beast but he can't make guys around him win and again with all the talent on that team it, it's inexcusable so and I'm you know well okay and let's it. be honest uh, before sure. we get into this uh, 1990s discussion here uh, lay GM, as I like to refer to him, none of these guys would be on this team if he did not want them to be. Absolutely. He, more than maybe anybody other than the owner, is responsible for all those guys that are on that team with him. So that's why I have, you know, if you are a guy that's a great player uh, who is uh, not in a position where you can control who's on your team, and unfortunately, as good as you are, the rest of the players around you, whether it's cap reasons, poor drafting, whatever, you know, I have a little bit of empathy for you. But I don't have any kind of empathy or sympathy for LeBron. He brought this on himself. He essentially is Aaron Rodgers at this point because Aaron is bitching and moaning because the Packers, uh, at the time of this recording at least, are uh, having a losing record, and he's like, oh, we need to bench some guys that are uh, playing crappy uh, football. Well, uh, Aaron, maybe take a look in the mirror. And uh, I don't expect LeBron to bench himself, but, you know, he is being, oh, you'll like this one, Barry, hoisted by his own petard. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay, let's start off with the 1990s NBA top 10 players. Number one, Barry, uh, in no particular order, by the way. Uh, The guy that absolutely just stuck a dagger right into the heart of Knicks fans every single year at the playoffs. It's fucking Reggie Miller. And Reggie Miller did. And Reggie Miller is what made a lot of this so much fun because he was the perfect villain. He relished the role. He loved it. He loved being the villain when it came to New York. And, uh, you know, Reggie Miller, the four point play, right? Which fucking was a dagger to us, but he was a, uh, he was a guy that I believe spent his entire career with the Indiana Pacers. And when Reggie retired, I was, why? Why is he retiring? Because he's still, in my opinion, he still had a couple more good years. Yeah, his his stats had gone down, but that's normal. But he, there wasn't this great drop-off and fall off the cliff, and Reggie was so great. And I, I know that I've told you this story before, and I've shared it on air, but Reggie really was public enemy number one for Knicks fans in the 1990s. Jordan was different because Jordan had that respect level. Reggie would, he'd sink the shot. Then he would look out at the crowd and and fucking antagonize people. And he loved it. And it it made us hate him. I think it made him stronger. And Reggie came into uh, my restaurant in New York years later. And? 
And? And? I was working in a restaurant in New York. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, server or manager? What's, what's happening here? Uh, server, I was server or manager. Man, manager. And Every episode has to be about fucking pleasing Spiker, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, he's going to be a dad shortly. I feel like we have to go the distance. Poor Mrs. Spiker. That's all I got to say. Yes. So Reggie came in. He was. This was the same day that Marcus Allen came in the restaurant. They may have been looking for each other because they both walked in and started looking around. So I, Reggie Miller came in, and I figured, okay, if he's not going to stick around, and I don't think he was, I needed to have a conversation. I went up to him, and I was like, Mr. Miller, I was a Knicks fan. I was, you know, and he could have given a bigger shit about anything I was saying. He didn't hear a word, but he did sign an autograph for me, and I, which I still have to this day. So, yeah. But Reggie Miller, my God. Reggie Miller – Reggie Miller and Charles Barkley may be my two favorite players of all time that I truly hated at one point as well. So two questions. First question is, uh, was Reggie better than Cheryl? Was Reggie better than Cheryl? I don't Cheryl know if was I, a fantastic yeah, player. Yeah, I don't know if I saw enough of Cheryl play. I, I know that she's been a commentator. I believe she was a coach in the WNBA. She's a Hall uh, of Famer, I don't, too. Yeah, yeah, and a Hall of Famer, but I don't know if I ever actually saw but I know that she was a beast when it came to playing. Yeah. So, you uh, are a coach, and you Uh-oh. have two players on your team, Okay, and there's one second left on the clock. Oh. You need a three-pointer to tie the game, to send it in at overtime. Are you giving the ball to Reggie Miller or to Steph Curry? Oh, I thought you were going to say John Starks, and I was going to like, you can't ask me yeah, that fucking fuck question. Three for 18 in the playoffs. I don't That's think. what, yeah. I would be like, who am I? Who am I, Riley? You can't ask me this question. I'm not his coach. Oh, boy, that's a uh, – so I'm tempted to say Reggie because we all know what Reggie can do. I do think Steph Curry is playing at a different level, and when it comes to the three-point shot – how do you not say Steph Curry as well, right? But boy, tough one right there. I would go with Steph Curry. Why would Next. I go with Steph Curry? How many championships does Steph Curry have? Yeah, versus Reggie Miller. Exactly. So, and that sucks yeah. to say it, but yeah, that's what I would yeah. go. Well, that's what you could have told Reggie. Yeah, how many titles you got there, Reggie? <laughs> Bam! Fucker, thanks for the autograph, you piece yep. of shit. Next, Barry. Oh, here's one you're going you're gonna to like, Barry. It's Patrick Ewing. I mean... So whatever the flaws with Patrick and his game and those flaws exist, I won't talk about him because I have always been, I am a gigantic Patrick Ewing fan. I love Patrick Ewing. We were this close, Jeff, and I've got about a quarter of an inch between my thumb and my forefinger. We were that close. Blowing the layup. Charles Smith. And I I know somebody's going to come in defense because I remember when we were talking about Charles Smith, Somebody came forth and said, don't talk to – where did he go to college? Pitt. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's what I thought because – He played uh, on the yeah. same team with – here's obscure trivia for you. He played on the same team with Jerome Lane. Jerome Lane was the guy who for years was on the ESPN highlights because he absolutely destroyed a backboard. Uh, did one of those Gerald Dawkins things where the bat, he dunked and the backbo- uh, backboard essentially exploded. Uh, yeah, and Jerome Lane and uh, Charles Smith on that uh, pit team. Anyway, please continue with your love and worship of Patrick Ewing. Yeah, I uh, 
I, I, it, that's accurate. It's love and worship. And, uh, Ewing was what, what I really liked about Ewing, and it was really less the skill set was the hustle and the heart. And Patrick Ewing was one of those guys. And I saw, you know, I saw, I guess the majority of his career, if not all of his career, he was the kind of guy that would come on the court. He had put on some weight. I don't think his knees could support his body weight and he would limp around the court. He was just, you know, it just looked like he, his body was going through every horrible thing imaginable and he never quit. And Ewing would get out there. He was a fighter. He had more heart than literally 90% of the NBA currently. And I always respected that and still do. Finished in the top five uh, MVP voting five times, which uh, that's uh, pretty impressive. Next on the list, here's a guy that uh, recently in the news, a little polarizing with some of his viewpoints. He has become the proverbial get off my lawn guy. Barry Rose, were you a fan of Scottie Pippen? So this this was the funny thing. This happened. Funny haha or funny unusual? I'll let you determine. Okay. That so about ten years ago, give or take, there was this resurgence of love for Scottie Pippen. And there was this Michael Jordan wouldn't have had the success he had if Scottie Pippen wasn't on the team. If Scottie Pippen wasn't Michael's co-captain on the championship bowls, they wouldn't have had the, the success that they had. I call bullshit on that. And I think Scottie Pippen was a very good player. I wouldn't say he was great, but few guys are. I also don't think there's a lot of truly great players, but Scottie Pippen was a a really good player. He has become the get off my lawn. It's his ex-wife. She's involved in drama. There's just all this shit that goes around. And, you know, Scottie, uh, and who, where did Scottie go when he left the Bulls? Was it Houston? Lewis, if you could look that up for us, I would appreciate it. Now, you know, here's the thing. (laughs) That I think about, uh, about Scottie Pippen, I'm going to agree with you. I think Scottie was a really good player, but I think a lot of the rub that he got as a really good player was based on the fact that he was playing with the greatest player of all time. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And, and really there's no shame in that, you know, but I think that Scottie Pippen, uh, wanted to be, uh, Scottie Pippen went to the Portland Trailblazers after the Bulls. Thank you, Lou. There you go. Um, uh, I, I think he wanted to be recognized for, you know, for his greatness on his own. And, you know, uh, there's, I, I think he's always going to have that stigma of being the guy that was second banana to Jordan, you know? Yeah. And I but, think post career, yeah. I think it really like just grinds on him. I th- And I think you're right about it. I don't want to take away. I think, uh, you know, and, and I, I think there's been a lot of speculation on their relationship. You know, Michael Jordan has gotten a free pass for many years and he's not a good guy. He's not a great human being. There's a lot of fucking skeletons and he did a lot of shit to other players and coaches, et cetera. So, but you know, he's Michael Jordan. He's going to get a pass and their relationship, Scotty and Michael, I don't think is a, uh, I don't think they have the greatest of relationships. I, I just, I don't want to, take it away 
that Scottie Pippen was a really good player, I knew who I was having this conversation with. But look at the other guys on the team. And it was funny because when in funny how, right? When you were watching the Bulls and you had guys like Tony Kukoc and Luke Longley and Scotty Brooks, et cetera. Uh, uh, let's not forget uh, Johnny Pax, my friend, uh, the Notre Damer John Pax. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and Sweet Lou checking in, slight correction, he did immediately go to the Rockets in 99, then went to Portland the same year. Because I knew, wasn't he on the team, the same team that had like Charles Barkley and everybody else, and they, they didn't win a title when they were heavy with all these superstars? It, I want to say he, he was, but I don't know that for a fact. But yeah, I uh, Scottie Pippen, really good player. My opinion, not the upper echelon, though. So next on the list, the uh, aforementioned Charles Barkley. Ah, Barry, were you a fan? And was Charles Barkley better with the Sixers, the Suns, or somewhere else? Ooh. So I think he was great with the Sixers. I think the Suns is really where he got into a groove. And I think that's where he, he quote-unquote, found himself. And then when he went to the Rockets, he was still pretty pretty solid. I think those are the only three teams that he actually played for, but I may be incorrect. But I love Charles Barkley, and Barkley was one of those guys that I hated because he was uh, he was dirty. They, there was a lot of cheap shots. They would show it on TV all the time. Barkley would get away with sheets like a shit, like a, a cheap elbow. Uh, he would throw all this, and it made me mad. And then I I think towards the the latter part of his career, I really started to embrace Barkley. And what I liked about Barkley was twofold. One was he was a warrior. Barkley was out there to win. The other thing was Barkley was one of those guys that was having a lot of fun. And you didn't always see that. And when he would throw those elbows, I remember he threw an elbow to Charles Smith once in the back and Charles Smith got off, you know, it was going to be, he was ready to throw down and Barkley was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was smiling at him and it was me. Barkley was having a lot of fun in the NBA. And I like that. I like guys. And you could see him now. He's still having a lot of fun. He was, uh, if you will, a provocateur. Yes, he and was. He re- and so was Reggie Miller, and they both relished that and enjoyed that uh, that role. So next on the list, I'm going to tell you that when uh, Shaquille O'Neal was drafted by the Magic, uh, and he was with Penny Hardaway, and they went to the finals, I want to say, and lost, and then he went to the Lakers, incredibly successful run with the Lakers, and I friggin' hated the Lakers with uh, with Shaq and Kobe Bryant, but. Then after that, later in his career, when he came to the Miami Heat, I had become a fan of the Miami Heat because I really liked Dwayne Wade as a player and thought he was a, uh, you know, really good player. I was not previously a fan of the, uh, the Heat before that, but I really enjoyed Dwayne Wade. And then when Shaq joined and, you know, Shaq and Dwayne Wade went to the, uh, the NBA, uh, got the NBA title and stuff with Pat, uh, Pat Riley. I think Pat Riley was still the coach then. I really found myself enjoying Shaq and enjoying uh, uh, what he would do on the uh, on the court, what he would do, uh, you know, in the community. He's he and Barkley just tremendous uh, on TNT uh, as a uh, sort of they're, they're kind of like what are the guys that uh, the, the name of the two guys that are from the Muppet show that people always compare us to, Barry, that the, the oh, uh, Seeker and uh, some other old fart. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what Shaq and Charles Barkley are on the TNT show. Like they're like this bickering old couple 
but they're absolutely fucking hilarious and they're bundled in Shaq. I will say postgres Statler and Waldorf. Thank you, Lou. Statler and Waldorf. Uh, yeah, you were real close there, Barry. Uh, what did I say? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You said Beaker and somebody. Beaker. <laughs> Beaker is a guy. It's just a different yeah, guy. No, Be- yeah. no, Beaker was another one of the puppets, <laughs> but not one of the guys in the balcony. But anyway, uh, Shaq, uh, you know, like you hear all about the philanthropic, uh, philanthropic stuff that he does, uh, you know, where he just like, I will donate all these things and I will give him credit. He is a really, really sharp businessman. Uh, he owns tons of franchises of different restaurants and, uh, you know, uh, as a, uh, an ad spokesman, this guy is really a bright guy. And I think in a lot of ways early in his career, he almost deliberately wanted to come off as a dumb jock. And here he really pulled the wool over some people's eyes because he's really a very astute businessman, a very sharp guy, incredibly successful in the NBA. Uh, and, you know, I will say he credits a lot of the man he became uh, and the father that he became to his uh, what I believe was his stepfather, uh, who was a guy that was in the military, uh, who was responsible for raising him. And he, you know, he says turning him into the man that he became there. Yeah, so it's you bring up that team, and I will tell you, I mean, it was very smart to bring Shaq to Miami. I, as a fan of the Heat that year, I didn't love it, and I'll tell you why. That was uh, 2004, if I'm correct. That sounds about Um, right. I, I think that's what it was. So my mother had passed away. I was working in Orlando, but I was spending a lot of time down in Miami uh, with, you know, taking care of her estate and et cetera. It was either 2003 or 2004, but I think it was 2004. And they had a really scrappy team. They had Lamar Odom on that team. And uh, you had a bunch of young guys. Lamar Odom was one, and I'm forgetting who the other ones were. But you had a bunch of young talent, Dwayne Wade. You had a bunch of young talent who was really scrappy. I believe they just made the playoffs that year. They didn't go farther than the first round. And I like the nucleus of what they had because it was youth, and they were winning, and they were fighters, and it was a strong team. And they made the change. They gave up Odom. And a couple of other guys, I forget exactly who the trade, and they brought in Shaq, and I was against it because I felt that they were padding the team, and look, Shaq was a fucking superstar. You kind of had to do it. With that, you really can't say too much bad because it did bring them an NBA championship, and, you know, at that stage. But I like Shaq. I, I'll tell you where I was wrong was if you remember Shaq's early movies, and his early TV appearances, I was rest assured that Shaq had no future in the entertainment industry. He was, you know, my name is Shaq and I'm going to play. You know, there was like no emotion. He was just reading off cue cards. And now he's literally everywhere. Shaq could do no wrong. He's on every commercial known to man. And he's got a great personality. And another guy that just appears like he's having a lot of fun doing what he's doing. Yeah. Next on the list, it is the mailman bear, Carl Malone. So I, uh, I loved Carl Malone. I loved Carl Malone and I loved John Stockton and I thought they were maybe the greatest one two punch. And I was always hopeful that certainly if my Knicks weren't going to win the title, that maybe Malone and Stockton could and you know, they had a great coach too. You had Jerry Sloan, who was just a, the, the late Jerry Sloan was a great coach. Carl Malone, 
not a great human being as it's come out over uh, the last decade or two. But at the same time, why do they call him the mailman, Jeff? You know why. Because he always delivered. Always fucking delivered. Carl Malone and, and it's John Stockton was it? They called John Stockton the dirtiest player in the game, and maybe he was. Well, I tell you what. Uh, let me just pause you right there because sure. the next person on the list is in fact John Stockton. So wow. this way, because they were teammates for so long, we can discuss them both at the same time. Yeah, and with that, they were both fantastic. And was Stockton the dirtiest player in their game? He may have been because there were times he really was dirty. But at the same time, these two together were gold, and I would have loved to have seen a title go to them. And it's not, you know, Utah to me, I'm not a Utah guy, but at the same time, these were basketball lifers, and this was a lot of talent. And Malone wound up on the Miami Heat, didn't he, if I'm correct? He wound up on a few teams. I think he might have also played for the uh, the Lakers. Mavericks and the Lakers. Uh, yeah, sure yeah. Mavericks, I want to say on a few would- teams. I want to say he was on that Miami Heat team. This was the one, and this is, I, I was talking to a Lyft driver and we were talking about padded teams when they, they're basically the dream team. And Miami did that. It was like Gary Payton and Carl Malone joining the rest of the team and they still couldn't do shit. But Stockton Malone to me, maybe the greatest point guard and, and forward combo, at least during my lifetime. So next on the list, Barry, we've talked about some guys who uh, we found out maybe afterwards that they were not the greatest human beings, uh, a little bit some sketchy behavior. However, that is something that cannot be said about somebody else that's on the list next, and that is the Admiral, David Robinson. Yeah, so – and I love that you uh, – because he really – you know, every day we're inundated with – uh Sports stars, whether it's football or, or basketball, you know, hockey never seems to be as bad. Baseball, wrestling, my God, we've got a million horror stories. And then you get a guy like David Robinson, who you could dig deep as deep as you want. And you won't find shit on this guy. He has always been a stand-up guy. And when he came out of Navy, I remember how touted he was. He's, and that, I think that's a lot of it is that he's got this military background that he believes in. He believes in himself. And David Robinson also, I think he made people better. I'm not talking about as an NBA player. I think his morality and the way that he conducted his business and held himself, I think he actually made people better around him. And guys like Tim Duncan, because you look at it in San Antonio, maybe with the exception of Dennis Rodman, wasn't a lot of drama that was going on. And and to me, you could also say that's 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 Greg Popovich, right? Greg Popovich, I think, arguably top three coaches in the history of the NBA, especially considering what he did out in San Antonio over you know twenty five and thirty years. But you know what he did with Tim Duncan should be the blueprint for every mentor relationship in basketball because he literally took the guy he mentored him and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily even about basketball it was how to survive and how to be a good person in the NBA etc and Tim Duncan literally became like a David Robinson disciple like you know you won't you have to have a willing him. student though 
You, absolutely you do. But I, I think that was, and I think long winded as usual, that's the culture of what San Antonio was. And that was the culture that Greg Popovich and David Robinson put into place because a lot of those guys that came in were really stand up guys. Yeah, maybe uh, if uh, they had uh, brought in Sean Kemp. Uh, <laughs> maybe that wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked yeah. out so well. <laughs> not, so, uh, as, not as next well. On yeah. our, next on our list, uh, Barry, it is Akeem Abdul Alajuan. What a I, fucking player this guy was. Holy What crap. a player. So this was another guy that I didn't love, and primarily because he beat my Knicks. And the next year, if you remember, beat my Knicks in 94. However, the next year, and that was seven games, thank God. The next year, he pulled, he collectively, really by himself, pulled the shorts down of the entire Orlando Magic team and spanked the fuck out of them and shut them out. And uh, Orlando lost four straight. And Rockets won four straight to win. And it it, it was uh, it almost wasn't even fair when you were watching it. Hakeem Olajuwon will never get the credit that he was due because he literally almost just walked away from the NBA. And you don't hear much about him now. You know, it, nothing bad, obviously, but even anything good, I think he stepped away as a player, whether it was Hakeem and Ralph Sampson, the Twin Towers, the first couple of years in Houston. But then what Hakeem did, and Hakeem, here was another thing, Hakeem played like he was 6'2", right? Like he, you know, he was just, he, he had the soft touch. Everything about him worked. And I had to hate him. But at the same time, I developed this deep respect for him. And, you know, I'll never forget Hakeem when they traded him. And I think he went to Toronto. And Hakeem was uh observing Ramadan. And he's older he is physically not in the shape. He's at the very tail end of his career and he's playing during Ramadan and he's sitting on the bench and they, he's got the oxygen mask on and he just looks like a hundred years old, but guy was a fucking warrior. And honestly, that'll be the overriding theme of this entire episode to me when guys gave a shit and it wasn't all about money. It was about going on the court. And leaving it all on the court and not worrying about the next day and the next month. And Hakeem was that guy. I will have Hakeem top five players of all time as far as my respect. Not that he gives a shit, but yeah. No, hold on. I got Hakeem on the line. <laughs> Does he care about my respect? He, he, he said he wants to thank you uh, for your <laughs> kind words. And it really it really affects him deeply and means a lot to him. Well, and, and as me, it would, <laughs> if I could say, and yes, it would. But uh, with that, because uh, I'm also a fan, and I know that he listens to every episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, all 265, Dikembe Mutombo, I'm Dikembe Mutombo, the, the voice of Cookie Monster. He wags his finger, was the guy that started that, but he has uh, got a brain tumor, and he is fighting a brain tumor. And Dikembe is another one, uh, came from Africa, and uh, has donated millions of dollars to his uh, his home country. Just a good person, and uh, I just, you know, I, I hate hearing stories like that. So I will continue to uh, keep Dikembe in my thoughts. 
So the Kimbe and Alonzo Mourning on the same front line at Georgetown. Holy crap. I, yeah, with John Thompson <laughs> as your coach, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the last person on the list, Barry, I know you'll be stunned to hear is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, you know, obviously know, he can't be on there. But uh again, you said earlier we've found out he's uh, maybe not the nicest guy, but quite frankly, he wasn't the nicest guy when he played. He was an absolute stone cold killer on the floor and would do anything. But unlike certain other people that want to be the goat, he fucking got the job done, Bear. And that's it. You know what? How do you, you want to be the goat? What do you have to do, Jeff? What you yeah. just said. You got to get the job done day in and day out. And look, fucking my, the stories of Michael Jordan, uh, you know, 102 degree fever and the flu and he'll get out there and then he's got to get oxygen on the, on the bench to, to try. And then he gets out there and does a crazy fucking circus shot. And, uh, you know, it's just, he, it, it you'll never, I shouldn't say never. I don't know if we'll ever see another player like Michael Jordan. And I'm not even talking about the scoring and the titles, the skills that this guy had. I just, it's, there's no way to describe it. He, every little kid that was watching the NBA in the eighties. And I, I mean, little kids and it didn't matter that, you know, Michael was a, Michael was he's black. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to anybody. Everybody wanted to be Michael. Didn't matter your color. Didn't matter anything. If you were into basketball and you were a little kid, you wanted to be him. And rightly so he was that good. He was just that tremendous of a talent, you know, and, and I, I'll go back and I, I think it's ESPN and, and they'll show these highlight reels of Michael's best shots, et cetera. And I'll watch this and I'm just like going, how? Like, did he, this was, to me, it's the old Robert Johnson effect. Did, uh, did Michael sell his soul on the crossroads to the devil to become, you know, where Robert Johnson, the story, he sold his, uh, his soul to the devil to become the greatest blues musician of all time. How did Michael do this stuff? How is this humanly possible? Well, I'll leave you, I'll, I'll leave you with, uh, two thoughts on that very question. Uh, number one, uh, is it the shoes? Is it the shoes? Remember those commercials? <laughs> yes. Uh, what, what was it? What, what was, uh, Spike Lee's character? It was Mars, uh, was it Mars? Oh, yeah, Blackman? yeah. Yeah, Mars Blackman. Why yeah, now? Right, yeah. So I don't know where I pulled that one out of. I know. Uh, Holy shit. But the second question is, as great as Michael Jordan was, okay, was Michael Jordan and his greatness and the incredible success that he had with the Bulls, was it a case of David Stern in some ways protecting his investment? Because, you know, you mentioned earlier in the segment that there was, uh, there was some sketchy stuff in the, in the background, in the closet that we had, that came out about Mike. And was it a case of David Stern kind of politely, Oh, look over here while all this is going on. Or, uh, was Michael just so great and we're making something out of nothing? I would say, I, I would say, David Stern did some protecting and under uh, understandably because I understand. Oh, I, I, I get it too. Yeah. We need to goose. That's the golden goose right there. And the NBA had a resurgence. A lot of people forget that the NBA had a resurgence when Michael Jordan 
started playing and became hot. And the NBA also took a dip when he took off those those few years, you know, with the baseball and the betting and all that shit. But the NBA alleged alleged betting alleged they had to recover from that. Of course, they were protecting Chicago was protecting the NBA. You're it's it's not just Michael Jordan. There's billions of dollars on the line with that. So, yeah, they were protecting my would I would absolutely say so. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things that really rose sort of out of the ashes, if you will, with Michael Jordan was the rise of the, uh, the card industry with Michael Jordan yes. and, and all those cards. And, you know, I can remember Great uh, point. That there was a, a guy that I knew that was a collector. Well, back in the day, I used to collect tapes of football games, which <laughs> I remember that. That's though. kind of a laugh now because all those games are now available on YouTube, by the way. Right. Uh, but so there was a guy that I knew in, in the uh, Broward County area in Florida. His name was Mark. I can't remember what his last name is. And Mark was just like a ridiculous collector of, of sports memorabilia. And so lo and behold, I'm uh, looking for jury duty. Uh, I'm going to pick up jurors one day. And who's on my jury but this guy, Mark, okay? Uh-huh. And so I walk in the courtroom, and I tell my judge, I said, look, I, I, I got to be honest with you uh, and reveal to you that there is someone who's on the prospective panel who I know. And she's like, okay. And she makes the announcement to the attorneys and says, you know, my clerk uh, knows my prospective juror number, you know, four or whatever. And uh, but we'll uh, we'll get into it with him and we'll talk to him and and you know maybe he will uh you know discuss whether or not they've ever talked about you know court or anything like that. And so the guy comes in. Well, I'm going to be very kind and say that this guy was he was a little bit uh, a little bit out there. <laughs> I mean, he got me some great games on video. Sure. He was a little bit out there, and uh, so he proceeds. And one of the things you do during the perspective, uh, you know. What they call voir dire, voir dire, whatever. That's what one of the judges used to say. Uh, is they sit there and, you know, okay, uh, tell us your name. Well, my name is Barry Rose and this is what I do for a living. And I have uh, two kids and I live in so and so in Plymouth meeting. And, uh, you know, uh, have you ever been arrested? Uh, well, uh, arrested, uh, convicted. And, you know, <laughs> they, they ask you all these questions. So one of the questions is, of course, what are your personal interest okay and you know like uh if they ask uh Barry Rose, oh i i'm a movie buff i like wrestling uh, that kind of stuff and it's a very generalized question okay and and it calls for a very generalized answer okay so they ask this guy the question what are your uh what are your interests uh outside of what you do for a living and so he then begins to go down the entirety of his list of things that he's looking for as a collector okay and I always remember one of them was Michael Jordan cards. Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I, I collect, uh, baseball cards and basketball cards, uh, specifically Michael Jordan cards. Uh, I am, however, looking for the, uh, 1993, 1994, uh, Fleer collectible, especially the gold trimmed ones that are in very short supply. I'm a very specific collector. And he goes down this list of all these different baseball cards that, he look, that he's looking for. I say baseball cards, uh, basketball cards that are all Michael Jordan cards. Sure. And like the judge turns and looks at me and gives me one of these, what the fuck is going on with this guy? And I kind of like just kind of shrug my shoulders like, "Eh." and I don't think I ever saw the guy after that. But it was hilarious when he started going down the list of all the different Michael Jordan cards that he would that he had and was looking for bear. 
That's funny too. And you know, so baseball and football, I think that, so this also brings up a great point. Baseball and football, especially baseball, uh, baseball cards were always a thing going back forever in football as well. At least in the seventies, I was aware, uh, of the popularity of football cards, but basketball cards really took off with Michael Jordan. So that's actually a really, really solid point. I've got a bunch of basketball cards from the seventies and it's a lot of it is, uh, you know, complete sets of like the Lakers. And I love those cards. They're beautiful cards, but the truth was the value with a lot of these cards came into play in the eighties with Michael Jordan. Very about time to wrap up the old episode two, six, six live feet on the ground here in Lutz, Florida. Or, or did you tell me it was Lutz earlier? I think you said Lutz, didn't you? You remember those days when we used to have those conversations? Lutz, tomato, tomato, same dog, different coat. Anyway, on that note, I will remind each and every one of you that Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Good night, Gunny. I will see you in the morning, my monkey man. Thanks to uh, Barry Rose, Lou Kippelman on the production duties, and we will talk to you.